Broadway and exchange, bringing kings a range of stories and conversations. Broadway and exchange, bringing ready the good, the brave, audible information. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Sorry for being a few minutes late here. It's uh, a little crazy in my world right now. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't been following the markets today, but the SVB SVB thing is is bonkers. Bonkers. That's a very yeah. gracious, generous word for it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and I. Um, but speaking of bonkers. Speaking of bonkers, yeah. So, if it's okay, I'll just I'm recording. Um, this is Mandy from the EST at Kings, and um, if, hi, Mandy. Guess, How are you? I'm I'm good. Nice to Great. meet you. Likewise. Excellent. So we're on record. I'm recording. And um, I'm Paul Gladder from Religion Unplugged. I'm also a professor at the King's College. Mandy's here from the Empire State Tribune. She's a student and a student journalist at the King's College. And we're here with David Bonson, who's an author, a money manager, a commentator, and uh, a board member for a time at the King's College. And that's what we want to talk about today. So the first zone of questions, David, is if you could just tell us some background of what led you to join the board of King's College, what was your time periods there and your experience there? Uh, sure. I, I believe I was asked to join the board by former college president Greg Thornberry in the summer of 2017. Um, in fact, I'm sure that's when I, he asked me to join, whether or not it was consummated or I made official in summer or or into the fall, I can't recall, but I believe it was like August or September of 2017 after a series of meetings and conversations with uh, Greg um, in, in uh, the middle of 2017. And then I served on the board uh, up until the very beginning of 2021, um, at which point I, I left the board. I believe that was February of 21. Mm-hmm. Could you tell us why you left the board? Yeah, it was really, um, I, I always got along very well with General Gibson. I still do I think very highly of him. And um, we, it was no, there was no drama or, or, or any particular issues. Uh, just simply as uh, was the case when I joined the board and I had uh, expansive conversations with Greg Thornberry about this. Um, I'm a founding board member of a Christian high school out in uh, Orange County, California called Pacifica Christian High School. That was the um, lion's share of my commitment of both time and treasure. It's been a multi-million dollar um, uh, priority for me in terms of as a donor. And it's uh, our trustees are not just doing a board meeting once every quarter or twice a year. I'm, I'm extremely hands-on involved. And so um, I also serve on the board at National Review, um, a, you know, 70-year-old conservative think tank and media political organization. And I was really clear when I joined the Board of Kings that I cared very much about the college, uh, had history to it. I've been uh, very dear friends with Marvin Alasky, who formerly worked at the college for a long time, have lectured at the college in the past. I'm very passionate about what the mission of the school was, but I needed Greg to know it was going to be my third priority as far as these extracurricular activities. And as my business and family commitments grew, 
beyond a level that most mere mortals would not comprehend. Um, I decided one of my three babies needed to go and Kings was the third baby. And so Kings was the one that went. Right. Okay. Well, appreciate that you spent a few years on, uh, on the board of the school and you know, the school, and as you may, as you probably know now, Kings is, is in financial hardship and has said that it's considering options such as being acquired by another college or closing its doors permanently. And we probably will get that news of one or the other of those if uh, this year. Are, do you have thoughts on what's brought on this situation as a former board member? Yeah, well, there's a, there, I, I want to be as transparent and open as I can. There may be some things there haven't been yet, but there may be some areas where I'm, uh, it wouldn't be appropriate as a past fiduciary to, to go. But I mean, the obvious answer is obviously what's brought it on is cash flow. It, it always is financial. Um, there was never a time when I was on the board that um, financial issues were not pressing, were not upfront and close. And that covered, you know, the time from when Greg uh, left, Greg Thornberry left the school and then there was a, a need for a future leadership planning. And that came with a whole lot of questions about the next generation of fundraising and development. And uh, then there were different strategic things that were being discussed that some of which did not work out. Then COVID came and that was a whole nother set of challenges, obviously. And then that led to this discussions that ultimately came to a, a deal with with uh, Primacorp. And so I don't um, think that there's any mystery as to the fact that uh, for many, many years, the school has had peaks and valleys of its financial health. It's a very difficult model. Um, I will say that there's been other times where the school was in the bottom of the ninth inning with two strikes and two outs, and somehow someone got a base hit. And so the, the fact that there's been existentially threatening financial difficulties in the past didn't put the school under then. Um, but it's definitely been a, a wild journey. I um both in the capacity of being a board member in the past, but also just my affections for the mission of the college. I do believe that there is a need for a school that is worldview minded. It is a degree granting undergraduate institution that is based in the um, city. I think that there is a benefit uh, where the cultural capitals of media and finance and arts and and so forth. So myself as a Kyperian um, believe that this matters. And as much as uh, there are wonderful schools that might be in suburbs or rural parts of America, I have nothing negative to say at all about Wheaton or Patrick Henry or Hillsdale but I do believe that in addition to other geographical options and cultural settings, I think that there is a real need in the kingdom for something like Kings. Hmm. Excellent. Appreciate you saying, uh, expressing that. Mandy, do you have any, you want to ask a question, Mandy? Sure. Um, I'm interested because Kings has had this cash flow issue for so long. What would you think would change that going forward <laughs> um, how could they restructure a, a whole lot it? of donors it's a tricky area i don't think this is a mystery but the the challenge that has never been resolved it's a fair question mandy but the um 
The challenge is that the school doesn't get to keep that much of the money that it costs parents to send their kids there because it's a more expensive experience at the city. And, and so I'm making up a number, but if it was going to cost X for tuition and it's going to cost Y for room and board and living expenses and travel, X plus Y put together is the total amount the parent can afford. And so whatever Y is comes off of X, okay? And that's true of all schools, but most schools Y is not as expensive. And so King's challenge is that the combined value of X and Y or the combined capacity of both put together is finite but their X is expensive because it's more expensive to run a school in Manhattan. And then the Y is expensive and it is the um, primary variable in the calculus I'm doing. In other words, X doesn't lead to a lower Y, Y leads to a lower X. And I hope I'm not being algebraically confusing, but I think I'm saying this the right way. And so it, well, there's a big need to own property in a place that's incredibly expensive to own property. There's a big need to have um, a larger nest egg or balance sheet of assets that have never been able to be accumulated. It's always been um, reliant upon ongoing cash flows, both tuitions and donors. And, and then ultimately those things, you know, uh, it became much more challenging after COVID. Yeah. And, and another big factor to the algebra, I think, was the... Um... During the time you were on board, as I recall, we had the DeVos family giving major generous gifts to the school that started to taper down right into the headwinds of COVID. And I guess looking back, I'm just curious if you have any comment around should we at King's or the leaders of King's been doing a, 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 a more serious job of cost cutting or at the time or do you think the board was really doing all it could uh, at the, with the information it had at the time? Yeah, I think that the board um, had limited capacity for the granularity of cost cutting because you're largely working off of budgets that are coming from leadership that are uh, based on what they believe the minimal need will be. And so a board member can look at a sheet of paper and see a number and say, hey, that number would look better if it was a lower number. But that doesn't mean that the board member knows what positions are luxuries and what positions are indispensable. And, and so, you know, along the way, I do think there's a tension at which you say, okay, well, we cut costs now to a point where the PL balance is better, but we've also cut it to a point where the school is totally dysfunctional. And so there, you're relying on administration and leadership to provide a lot of wisdom there. Ultimately, um, I think that the better play is generally when your expenses aren't going to be able to get much leaner, it's to focus on the revenue and focus mm -hmm. on some sort of strategic partnership. And, you know, there were things, I don't know how much of this stuff is public and I, and I probably won't give names unless I find out it is, but there were other scenarios that were looked at understanding that the DeVos's incredible generosity had an expiration date before the, the Canadian option came up, 
And I think the COVID moment just sort of took some of those strategic partnerships out. And I think mm -hmm. they would have been uh, wildly better alternatives in hindsight. But um, though, you know, the, whether it was a strategic partnership, um, a, a additional donation generosity, I will say this, a democratized effort of broader development and fundraising that may not have succeeded, but that was certainly not from lack of trying. I think the school did a lot to try to broaden a donor base and was just ultimately, in my time there, unable to do so. It's always been very top heavy. And you are right that my time in the board overlapped with that period where there were significant donations coming in from the DeVos family that were transformative to keep the school going. But that, in my understanding of history, is not any different than the past. It just was different donors. Mm -hmm. The DeVosses may not have been the pre-2015 donors, but I believe from the time the school moved to the Empire State Building to the time it relocated downtown on through the, for lack of a better term, the DeVos era, I think there were always a very small number of people who were incredibly generous keeping the school going. Mm -hmm. And I know you weren't on board when uh, Primacore, the deal was made. I, I've been told Steve Douglas, Stephen Douglas, the late uh, Douglas, uh, Steve Douglas, that was kind of his idea and introduction. But uh, do you have any perspective? I, I think it's an important distinction, though, um, in fairness to our, our uh, departed friend. Mm -hmm. It was his introduction. I, uh, I would not use the word. It was his idea. Okay. Thank you. That's important. And I mean... Do you have any opinion that you want to share about, I mean, Peter Chung, Primacore? I think one big shock to us um, uh, is just from last fall, what Primacore uh, and Peter Chung were, were planning versus we come back from the holidays and to have the um, plan sort of change. First, there was a cost cutting in the fall, and then all of a sudden we're on death's door. And then we noticed there's issues um, that he's facing, Peter Chung's facing, and Primacore is facing in Canada, um, which does cause us to wonder uh, a lot of questions and to dig into a lot of things. Yeah, um, there are some things I, I shouldn't share yet. There, there, there are questions I've read that um, you guys in, in your journalistic efforts are starting to ask that I think are very fair, reasonable questions. Um, I will say generically, with no specific attachment of this to the deal that did happen and the deal that is currently, you know, at the subject at the center of a lot of this discussion, that as a general rule of thumb, whether you're talking about an educational institution or a business transaction, as a general rule of thumb, it's nice to be able to transact without desperation. And that mm -hmm. desperation or the perception of desperation very rarely leads to an ideal transaction. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes desperation is unavoidable. Someone is desperate. Someone feels desperate because the circumstances are desperate. But I do, I, I think just as a generic statement that there's some wisdom in that, um, Oftentimes things can get can get harder when one's back is against the wall. As far as the questions that I think you guys have been pushing, um, I think they're fair questions. I do not know Peter, and there was no time when I was on the board where I got to know him, meet him, talk to him, or hear from him. 
Um, I left the board well before that transaction was consummated, but it has it was in discussion phases. And um, it, you know, it now seeing the way a lot of these things changed, and as a non-board member, I feel comfortable being critical of the way a lot of it has transpired. But I don't know what circumstances changed that led to the execution of the of the intent of the deal changing so much. So that's mm -hmm. where I guess I'm hesitant to speak from ignorance. But mm -hmm. um, there's no question that uh, it, it, the intent that was discussed mm -hmm. when I was on the board was just categorically different than what has played out. And then what I saw was the heart of, of Steve Douglas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we pivot to talking more about King's mission that, that you referenced, I wanted to see if Mandy had any questions before, um, still on, you know, Primacore or what we've covered so far before we move forward. Um, yeah. Do you have any thoughts on how the board currently is mostly Primacore? Um, do you think that that, like, do you have any opinions on that? I do. Um, I, I don't imagine that they had a choice. I, I would believe that as a condition of the deal that was done, that, that was one of the uh, costs to bear was that Primacorp was going to become a strategic partner with certain things that they were going to do. And in order for them to do that, they were going to require a majority position on the board. Um, but I do think that it has clearly changed the pecking order of what different actors priorities are yeah the 990 the uh, 2021 unaudited 990 says shows that the the uh, prima core was to receive four of the nine board seats in a minority and when we count them up now it's a five four if you count john beckett five three if you don't count john beckett according to the est's reporting but so that's just so so I if they ended up with five instead of four board seats since the 990 then that obviously would have been a very subsequent change um that i wouldn't be privy to unfortunately mm -hmm. okay well and to some degree is um you know we're interested to of course know what's happened to kings but those of us who work at kings or study at kings who are now being forced to consider transferring to other schools um our interest is also uh, the future of Kings. And you, you talked about the mission, et cetera. Um, if you were an acquiring institution, um, you know, what are, is, is Kings an attractive assets, an attractive asset for acquiring institutions? And if so, what are the key parts of that asset or the key assets of that institution? Well, the, the um, strategic imperatives of the acquiring institution matter and so there are a number of different things that could be most relevant. Um, one of the institutions that I was a part of meeting with and negotiating with when we thought a pre-COVID deal uh, with a, another academic institution might happen, it was there was a, um, a synergy and strategic relationship between uh, what they were envisioning in terms of King's particular proximity to Manhattan, being uh, in the uh, capital of finance, and uh, therefore producing, um, having an accredited degree-granting institution 
at the heart of our uh, world's financial capital uh, was relevant as a strategic partner to this particular academic institution that I was negotiating with as a former King's board member. And other institutions may feel the same. Others may simply just want the alumni base. I mean, certainly the embedded status with New York um, as a degree granting institution, um, it's harder to reinvent that wheel than to just acquire somebody else's accredited status. So the donor base is probably not a huge factor for obvious reasons, but the alumni base, the um, the institutional reputation in PP&E, um, and then I think those that would be looking for a Manhattan-based uh, kind of, again, that Kyperian uh, uh, mantra that matters so much to me, that would, I think, be the attraction uh, to another, another institution. If you took away King's status as a degree-granting institution at, with accreditation, it loses that luster. And certainly, I think that the, the profile and caliber of the faculty has been a strength. Uh, but there's a risk of that diminishing uh, too over uh, as more defections are at risk of happening. So um, in no particular order, I think uh, faculty, mission, reputation, alumni, and degree granting accreditation status, those are the various assets. The liabilities are rather well known, financial position and lack of any um, administrative heft. There's not you're not acquiring an executive team at all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I imagine, yes, there could be a lot of synergies, as they say, or cost cutting by an institution perhaps as well on the admin side. What about real estate and how do you handicap the uh, the fact, you know, we have, we bought a building for 19.5 million. It hasn't been sold yet. Um, how does that play into a deal? And the notion if there is a wealthy enough institution that wanted to invest in real estate in New York, Beyond that building, is it a good time to buy real estate in New York in your viewpoint? Well, those are two different questions. As far as the first, um, I don't know what happened that put leverage on that building. Um, at the time, I was on the board when we closed on the purchase of that building and we we bought it. And so something happened subsequently to put debt on the building. And that makes it obviously a lot less attractive that the equity has been eroded by the addition of debt and of, of course, uh, property value depreciation throughout and post COVID. Um, but if the property, if we were having the same exact conversation a week after the closing of that purchase, and you were talking about basically a $20 million unencumbered real asset on the balance sheet of the school, that would also be a tremendous advantage to a strategic acquirer or a strategic partner. But based on the erosion of the equity, um, it's much less relevant and attractive to a potential strategic partner now. Mm -hmm. What a, One other thing about the charter. Do you know, um, I, I, I understand, from what I understand, King's has a charter the same that the Met has, an educational institution and, and that has some value. I think that relates to what you're talking about with accreditation degree. And particularly grant. in the state of New York. Yeah, <laughs> it's very state relevant. Other, mm -hmm. If you ran, um, 
you know, Paul's Bible College in Birmingham, Alabama, and you had a successful, wonderful school, and you wanted a satellite in New York, you would not be able to piggyback off of your academic certifications in Alabama very easily. Uh, there's a unique accreditation process in the state of New York with its own governance and own protocols that obviously King's has already gone through that other non-New York institutions have not. Mm -hmm. um, Mandy, I think we probably have time for two to three more questions because we've got about five minutes left by my clock. Um, and I know David's a busy man, but you, you want to go, do you have a question you want to ask Mandy? Um, I don't really have anything else. No. Yeah, I just wanted to follow up too on the, the meaning to New York City and you addressed this some already, but um, what do what do, do do what does Kings mean for Christianity in New York City and the nation? Uh, more, you touched on it, but I wonder if there's more that the average you know Christian person in California or Iowa um, they might scorn uh, or think, okay, a, a school like Kings, why did they ever locate in New York to begin with? But is is there a different perspective that those kinds of people, those kinds of listeners might want to consider? Well, I don't think I can make the argument for someone who has that viewpoint um, very succinctly or persuasively. It's a tragedy that people think that. Um, it's a plague on the whole evangelical church because you are right that many people do believe that. They're wrong. Um, there is an incredible need for Christian presence in um, influential, populous, and, and culturally significant uh, urban areas, in, including New York City. I don't know if in hindsight, Kings could have done more to defend the city post-COVID. Um, I think that there were a lot of media portrayals of life in New York and myself having lived in New York for the last six years. I go back and forth every month between New York and California. Uh, my kids would just walk around a uh, 12 year old and 15 year old at that uh, now, but at the time they were even younger uh, all over the city. And I had absolutely no concerns whatsoever about their safety. And yet if you watch certain networks or read certain Christian blogs, you, it sounded as if New York had become, you know, uh, one step uh, ahead of the gates of Hades. And I don't think it was an accurate portrayal, but I think it was absolutely devastating to recruitment of, of students. Mm -hmm. uh, Mandy, I got one final question. So you got time for one of you. I want to, Mandy. I, I don't have anything. I'm good. Okay. So I'm curious, David, would, how, how do you handicap the odds of kings living in some form versus kings just disappearing from planet Earth, like the odds of, a, of an acquisition happening or some other thing happening. Is this on background or or on record? Um, I could do either. Right now we're we're recording. I could. Um, do you want to give keep us the recording? I, I, you can keep it recording. My answer is that um, my answer is uninformed because I do not. I'm not privy to what efforts may be going on behind the scenes. So superficially, cosmetically, intuitively, um, I would perceive it to be very low odds of survival. But um, the caveat I would offer 
is that I am 100% sure that that has also been the case at least two other times in the school's history and maybe more that I'm unaware of. But on two separate occasions, I think we were in the bottom of the ninth inning to use my prior baseball analogy and the school um, got a base hit and, and, and lived to fight another day. This is, it feels a lot more severe than that. And I definitely believe it would, it would take some divine intervention. Um, but uh, I believe in a divinity that frequently intervenes in things. So that's, that's my answer. It will, it, it's going to be a very tough situation, but it doesn't, um, it doesn't appear to be a, a completely shut book yet. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. And is there anything else that you wanted to tell us on record before we pause the recording? Um, no, I hope that that's been helpful. I wish I had more specific information to be able to share, but I think that's the the broader set of events I can share. I do think that there's been an awful lot from faculty to board to administration to obviously students and parents. There's been a lot of stakeholders in the school that are, are wonderfully sacrificial, tremendous people. Um, the notion of what kind of sacrifice um, people like uh, Andy Mills, people like um, the DeVosses have put into this school, it's incomprehensible. And, and so there, I have nothing but incredible affection and gratitude for those, those individuals. And um, right now we shall see uh, what God has in store, uh, both for Kings as an institution and the people who are connected to the school. My, my prayers are very much with everyone. Thank you so much for that and, and for your time today. We really appreciate it. This podcast was hosted by the King's College professor, Paul Gladder, and EST's campus editor, Mandy Beth Chow. It was edited by me, Matthew Peterson. Special thanks to David Bonson for his willingness to speak on King's financial situation. Thanks for listening.